listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 74. We're back! A dinosaur's story. Or, that's why you don't join the circus. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the internet's leading provider of audiobooks. In a future episode, we will be doing a discussion on the book Creativity, Inc. by Ed Catmull. He's a computer scientist who currently is president of Pixar Animation Studios, Walt Disney Animation Studios, Disney Toon Studios, and so much more. So download it today and be ready for the discussion. Make sure to check out rotoscopers.com slash audible. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, Don Bluth, and everything in between. We're your hosts, Morgan Stradling, Chelsea Robson, and Mason Smith. I guess you could say we're back. Oh, <laughs> oh guys, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> I can already see it coming. So for those of you who are new to the Animation Addicts podcast, this is a podcast devoted to the world of animation films, past and present. And today we are doing one from the past, 20 years ago to be exact, 1994. So this episode, we are going to be doing a discussion of We're Back. It's definitely, it's part of our Dinos and Dragons podcast series. And this has been a series of podcasts that's actually been pretty fun. And, and the all the listeners have really liked it. We kind of clump our episodes into categories. So we've done episodes all about dogs. We've done uh, podcast reviews about... Um, you know, obviously dinosaurs and dragons. So, and then the other one that we did was horses. So we are going to continue this trend. Our next one, after we finish the dragons and dino series, will be rats or mice. So, all right, before we go into our main discussion, we are going to jump into our nerdy couch discussion. All right. Don't you just love a good nerdy couch discussion? So in, in the Tarzan episode, we introduced, or, or rather we opened up a veritable Pandora's box of Disney theories. And this is coming from one website, DisneyTheory.com, which I do neither ador- endorse or affiliate with, but it makes for some great content. Uh, so this guy uh, <laughs> writes a bunch of blog posts about uh, Disney theories that he thinks um, could happen. Uh, actually, there is a main main uh, article called The Disney Theory, uh, from which all his other theories kind of you know stem out and stuff. So I just got two theories from his site. So we, we talked... We've... Tarzan has been like the subject of a lot of theories with this guy. But let's go to the before I go and get into that, I'm going to get into this theory. It's about Wreck-It Ralph. I'm going to wreck it. This theory is that the Disneyverse, as the creator calls it, is one giant computer. And instead of a the concept of a single unified Disney world, there is actually a computer that acts as a hub where you can just warp to other Disney universes. <sighs> That's too easy. Yeah. Really Everything's is. compartmentalized and you can just jump from one crazy world to another. No yeah. strings attached. It's just like Disney Infinity. Or Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> um, his Okay, here are some of the, the things that he, he wants us to look at. One, uh, that in Disney Infinity, all of the most recent CG Disney animated films are already characters. So you've got Rapunzel, Vanellope, Von Schweetz, Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, and Anna and Elsa, of course. And so they're all Disney Infinity characters. Coincidence? I think not. He points to the um, 
the part where Anna is uh, talking about, you know, what she wants out of the ball and she's singing and there's that uh, pile of, of sweets on the table that looks a lot like uh, Candy Crush. And so they make a similarity there. Um, also, when in that big um, that big gigantic establishing shot of the inside of the arcade hub, um, you can see not just video game ca- uh, cameos, but Disney cameos. One of them is Maximus the horse. Uh-huh. Uh, another, the, another one is Vladimir, the giant Viking who loves uni- unicorns. I mean, unicorns uh, somewhere in the background. So that's from Tangled. And then you can also see Tiny the Tyrannosaurus Rex from Meet the Robinsons. So I I think this is actually has a little bit of validity. I mean, how else would Hans be on the Wadden poster of the new Big Hero 6 movie? Yeah, I it, mean, it, it couldn't possibly... the directors, maybe. Jumping. It couldn't <laughs> possibly be... Uh, it couldn't possibly be uh, animators just having fun. No, It has no. to be a super serious and cohesive theory of a... <laughs> Of now multiple universes. This is starting to sound more like Marvel every day. Um, <laughs> multiple universes within the Disney universe, and and then there's this huge, there's this little thing about Vanellope von Schweetz. The fact that she can glitch makes her a magical character, and that she fits in the Disney universe because because she can characters. use because she she can use magic, and magic has always been part of Disney. It's so, a stretch. It's a stretch. <laughs> it is a stretch. What I want to know is besides like, you know, the animators being having fun and and, uh, you know, adding these Disney characters into the arcade world. What are these Disney characters doing in the arcade world? Because it looks like Maximus is headed into a game and the in, in the in the shot. All we see is the words A.N. as far as the title of the game. So maybe Bomberman. What's he doing in Bomberman? That's weird. But anyway, all kinds of weird stuff. So that, that, that one's that one's kind of weak, but it, it's basically saying that instead of one unified Disney world, there is a Disney universe with multiple worlds. Which is kind of true, right? <laughs> Already well, yeah, without that, he's this. kind of making a circle back it's, into it's called Disney what Disney <laughs> what Disney really is, which is a collection of worlds. Yeah. Therefore a universe. I, I would rate that Disney theory one out of ten. Oh, not very creative. Uh, it's harsh, basically Morgan, harsh. what we already know that there's a bunch of Disney worlds that exist. So, <laughs> yeah. So one out of ten. All right. What all else right. you got? OK, try this one. Try this one. And this one is a theory that the Disney verse has its own Disney within the Disney verse. OK, try to try to keep up here. He's talking about all the cameos that there are referring references and, and objects and lines that reference other Disney films. So uh, one of them is, um, oh, what's the one with the orphan cat? Oliver and Company. Oliver and Company. So yes. uh, Tito the Chihuahua, he sings uh, Hi Ho, Hi Ho, It's Off to Work We Go. And for those of Hi. you who've been living under a rock your whole lives, that's referring uh, to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Also, apparently there's a Mulan poster in the background of Lilo and Stitch in one of the in one of the scenes. Yes, there is. Yeah. So in the it's the 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 sister's room cover. Yeah. Yeah. The the cool the cool cover that they should have just used for the for everything Mm -hmm. for everything. Yeah. Boy, they they really messed up on the Mulan movie posters. I'm sorry. But yeah, so there's a Mulan movie poster and uh, there's a there's a Dumbo uh, toy in Lilo's room and uh, even in uh, in the Great Mouse Detective there's a Dumbo Christmas ornament in one of the scenes. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then um at one point the apes are playing with Mr. Porter, Professor Porter, and they shake out his uh, pocket and uh, apparently the little brother dog 
toy comes out of his pocket. Yeah. I don't know so what he that says, is. "Little brother, the little the the dumb dog." Oh that yeah, 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 yeah. So he says, uh, "Like Tito singing hi ho." There's no good reason for Professor Porter to own a toy of Mulan's dog when we already know Mulan is a fictional film in this world. The only conclusion can be that this trinket predates the dog in the movie. That the movie Mulan was made by somebody who knew the professor and wanted to dedicate a part of it to him. And here's where it gets weird. Maybe someone like his daughter. He makes the theory that Jane is the first Disney animator in the Disneyverse. That she animated Mulan in the 1920s or, or whatever and dedicated that to her father. And that's where he got the toy. So in the Disneyverse, Mulan is already had already been made by the time the Porter family made the trip to Africa. Or maybe it was just rebooted. Right. <laughs> Does this make hmm. any sense to y'all? Yeah. Um, I, I f he must really, really like Tarzan because <laughs> he was the one that actually introduced you guys to that site. And he just goes on and on, like basically any type of connection that he could come up with. It's like a lot of them reach back to Tarzan. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh, cool. So his final thoughts are that so Archimedes is Professor Porter's first name and Archimedes is the name of the owl in oh what's the one with the owl and there's a sword and there it's stuck in a stone what's that movie Sword in the, the sword stone? In the stone right the sword in the stone okay <laughs> hey try to keep up y'all um so in the sword of the stone Merlin has an owl named Archimedes and he says how common is the name Archimedes so he thinks that there's a connection maybe Mr. Porter turned into an owl at some point I, I don't know I don't know what he's trying to say there so in his previous life he was an owl yeah so basically what he's trying to say is that <laughs> Walt Disney and the Disney movies exist in Disney movies that they're not just co connected in universe, but the actual Disney franchise, the Disney brand is a thing in Disney movies. This is like when we watch the, there's the, the amazing Spider-Man cartoon show. I think that's what it is. Basically at the, like the last ends, the last episode is like these Spider-Mans from all these different dimensions come together where it's like Spider-Man Spider in in this dimension, he's this guy. In this dimension, he's over here. And, and then in the other dimension, he's just an actor playing a role. <laughs> and it's just... Oh, uh, that's funny. weird. Until yeah. the wire shows up. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's all that came to my mind while I listened to this. But yeah. thank you. Thank you for more. For yeah, more so my... Piece. This all makes my brain hurt. My brain hurt. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's the theories or the fact that I just watched We're Back, but um, this is getting just like too weird for me. But this is all I've got for Disney theories. Hmm. I would rate that one. You've got to give it points uh, for being interesting. It's creative. That's the thing. Yeah, it creative. came up with something unique that wasn't just, yeah, it's part of a world. But this was a world within a world. And I liked the connection to Tarzan with Jane and how she's the actual animator for many of these movies. And so I thought that was interesting. So I'm going to give it a 3 out of 10. I, it's not believable yeah. enough. And I think that's really what makes a defining Disney theory. Like the, the Frozen, you know, Frozen Little Mermaid theory. That one is just, yeah. Like you listen to that oh, and you that hear it okay. and you believe it. But this one, it's like, eh, that's good, but it's a stretch. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So all that's, right. all I got, that's all I got for you. Uh, maybe we'll do some more um, Disney Theory nerdy couch discussions. All right. So if you have any nerdy couch discussions related to Disney theories or maybe your favorite Disney theory, be sure to send us an email at contact at rotoscopers.com and send us good ones. We want some good juicy ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You send us the good ones. 
Yeah, you definitely don't want to get a one star out of ten from Morgan here. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Disney theories are hard. There's, what, 54 films that they have to combine together in at least some... Well, that's the ultimate Disney theory. If you can get all 54 to make sense. Many Disney theories combine, you know, two, three, five movies together. So that's commendable, too. All right, let's move on to our main discussion. Today we are going to be talking about the 1993 animated film, We're Back... A Dinosaur's Story. Amblin Entertainment and Steven Spielberg bring you the story of Cecilia, who was lonely. It's my parents. They're just never around. And Louie, who longed for adventure. I'm running away to the circus. While millions of light years away, someone heard them. Greetings, friends. I'm Captain New Eyes. I'm trying to make a few wishes come true. I invented this. It's a wish radio. I wish I had a friend. He sent them some help. They want to meet you. What do you say? From the prehistoric past. We'll do it. Farewell, my friend. Just try not to step on anybody. You've got to be kidding. Welcome to New York City. Who are you guys anyway? Dinosaurs, actually. Dinosaurs, huh? Do you got that look? Nice to meet you. It's me and that hat. I'm very pleased to meet you. Through high flying adventures. Look out for the skyscraper! Through narrow escapes. Through rush hour traffic. Watch where you're going. They're making their way to the big top. But Professor Screw-Eyes... That's the bad guy! ...has other plans. Professor Screw-Eyes Eccentric Circus! Standard contract. You want to sign? Do you see what they're most afraid of? Please, don't let that happen. Push it to the contract. What are you crazy? You'll be pulverized! I am the master of fear. This guy's nuts. We're back. A dinosaur story featuring the voices of John Goodman. Roll back back to the dawn of time when Earth was smoking and the lava flowed. Martin Short. I like comedy myself. Jay Leno. You're gonna love this. Julia Child. Welcome, welcome. And Walter Cronkite. And that's the way it is. Well, roll back the rock. Roll back the clock. Based upon the best-loved children's book by Hudson Talbot. We're back. A dinosaur story. We're in Central Park. Yeah, this was officially a box office bomb. Let's just start out with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was based on, based on a book. Really? It was, ba- it was based, based on, a book. on a book? Yeah, it was based on a book. I got the author's name right here. Uh, Hudson Talbot. And I, I know nothing about the book. Okay, I really hope that they strayed a lot from the book because I don't... Talk about I, nightmares for those <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Oh, this man. Is, this, I thought that uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven was a dark kids film, but uh, this this film is, is dark. Yeah, it's got some crazy themes in it. And notably disturbing. Notably uh-huh. disturbing and probably the most disturbing villain's demise in a kid's animated feature film. Would most? you agree? I don't know. Yeah. We'll, we'll go over a, a we'll go over a shot by shot analysis of it later. OK, cool. but I just want to I just want to give you a little appetizer that there's right. some dark material. If you haven't seen this film, definitely go watch it because uh, you'll it, it's a trip, man. 
You know, and it's funny because I love this movie growing up. It was one of my favorite, not one of my what? favorite movies, but it's one, you know, it's usually the ones that you owned on VHS or ones you liked because they were something that you had that no one else had or whatever. It's one of your, your collection <laughs> that was limited, okay? So this is part of my limited collection. I don't know why we owned this, but we did. And since we owned it, you know. I Someone was on brain drain. <laughs> See, here's the thing: is I always wanted to own this. I never saw it in the theater. I never saw it ever. But it, the poster looked so cool. I really <laughs> wanted to see this. The dinosaurs in New York City. Awesome. Hashtag marketing to kids. Exactly. I really wanted to see this. But, you know, as I'm watching this, I'm like, what am I getting myself into? I don't even know. You know, it's interesting. Like, when I was watching this as I was younger, like, I, I knew it was darker, but it didn't bother me at all. But now, old being older, it did bother me. So I'm like, what was wrong? I think when you're little, you're just kind of oblivious to things and maybe, like, the, the higher themes and whatnot. But it didn't bother me. And maybe because I'd seen it so long, I was like, yeah, I know what's going to happen. And yeah, yeah, yeah. This is about the second time for me watching this. I know I saw it way, way back when. And I do remember some of the scary parts. I don't know. I just preferred the real dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. We can't all get the real dinosaurs all the time, Mason. Again, this was capitalizing on, well, I don't know. Jurassic Park came out in 1993, so it's not like they could expect that this Jurassic Park was going to be such a hit. I think Jurassic Park and this movie was capitalizing on Land Before Time, which came out about five years earlier. And that was such a huge hit that dinosaurs in general became a hot topic just like you know you know late 2010s it was it was uh, vampires and then you know oh brother <laughs> not late 2010s late 2000s it was vampires and then it moved into zombies which are really big right now so i think it's just kind of these creatures they they go in phases of popularity and you know early 90s was definitely dinosaurs time my time so- has come <laughs> an adventure 65 million years in the making <laughs> but yeah not much of an intro you know what i think the first half of the film could just be jam-packed into a like a five minute intro i would not be opposed to that i was just so confused at every turn every person that came in i was just like what is your point what why are you here this movie's all yeah the movie's <laughs> kind of all over the place tonally like at the very beginning you have this goofy you know bird family and they're playing around and they have these weird accents because they're from new york and then you have the golfing dinosaur and then it goes to scary dinosaurs in real life then brain drain then you know the new york city parade and then scary circus and then we bookend it all again with happy weird bird family back in present day not to mention a T-Rex playing golf with those tiny little arms. It's just ugh, not plausible. Yeah, he's probably not very good. He probably has a really high handicap. But hey, it was produced by Steve Hickner. <laughs> yeah. Yay, Steve. Steve! Yeah, Steve Hickner. He's like one of my favorite guys in the animation world. Although at a Q&A in Chapman University, he did admit that this was one of the worst films he's made. <laughs> <laughs> at least he's honest. Well, what right. else did he say about it? Did he say like we That's were... That's all I got. Uh, we were... You asked That's that all I question? Got. I, I just got a... Oh, I just okay. got a little report you from a, a Chapman. No, no, no I, I was not there. Um, but but well, I, I would have stood up and been like, why did you waste a question on we're back? <laughs> you know what? You know what? Shut up. You just leave. <laughs> well, I'd actually be interested to interview him and get his thoughts on, you know, where this idea came from, why they can, you know, I was, I'd be interested to know, like as a producer and a director, if you know your film's not that great, but you're already contracted to do it, do you just, continue working on it knowing that it's not that good and kind of hope for the best or 
do you actually think that it's good? And then later you realize it's not. And then you revert to saying, yeah, it wasn't that good in the first place. You know, I, I'm interested because most people who are making movies and, you know, any animated film nowadays believe in their product. They believe that it's going to be good and that's going to be successful. Uh, but then the audience really is the one that dictates the fate of the film and whether it is a bomb or a success. And uh, I don't imagine that many filmmakers go into things saying, this is going to be horrible. This is going to be really bad. <laughs> It is my goal yeah, to make the worst movie, movie ever. <laughs> um, actually, I've, I've been reading the book Creativity, Inc. Uh, by Ed Catmull. And in it, he talks a lot about the uh, the directing process of the new, of all these movies. And just kind of how they like get together and help the director of any one of the movies that they're doing kind of get through those rough spots where it's like... He, he makes the point that some directors lose their way during the film meaning like they get lost between the trees and they can't see the forest through the trees you know mm-hmm. and so it's just hard to see your own mistakes when you're already six feet under yeah so I, I it's just really interesting to see i would actually really like to hear what their thought process was at this point like what exactly went wrong like where when did you make this decision and that that would be something i'd be interested in well, you know, he, uh, we do have his email address. We can always talk. We, we can always drop him a line, <laughs> like we did with Balto. You should. That'd be awesome. First thing I noticed at the very beginning of this movie is really boring opening credits. I, I was actually shocked on how boring they were. There was a black background with white text for the whole thing. There wasn't any pizzazz. Yeah, actually, there wasn't um, anything fun. Yeah, they actually uh, ran out of money, and uh, you know that company that has to finish it for you. Uh, that did uh that did the thief and the cobbler they all they went and did the credits that's all that's that's the last part of the portion of the film that they had to complete and, and you know it was those people that did the credits like you well i'm I, just kidding oh i was gonna I say was really, like, really? <laughs> now <laughs> this is getting juicy that. steven spielberg <laughs> running out of money that's not good. well i even like why black like why can't just if you're gonna do one color can't it just be a fun color I don't know. It really setting the stage for what to expect with this movie. <laughs> yeah, dark darkness. I thought they were totally boring. And then you're right. We we go into this golfing subplot that shouldn't the lesson be learned by the kids and the dinosaurs? What does a bird ha- like? It's like I get what they're doing. They're trying to extend the lesson into onto someone else. You know, so that there's a, a tie in at the end is like, and that's why you don't run away to the circus. <laughs> that's why you don't teach people lessons. that's that's why you don't yell <laughs> <laughs> oh if only you hadn't been screaming and this man wouldn't have lost his arm <laughs> anyway it's it they're trying to they're trying to do that and then the kids are supposed to be like hey that bird was gonna run away from home and I've thought about running away from him, home and joining the circus, but now I don't want to because of this film I've seen. Like, why don't they just observe the dinosaurs and the the runaway kids and be like, I don't really want to do that, you know? Yeah, why why well, does there have to be this, like, middleman? No, I agree, because you forget about him. It's not about him, the little yeah. bird. And then when the movie ends and you're brought back to this bird, you're like, oh, yeah, you... I forgot about you. And that's why I kind of have problems when movies do this. And this maybe is a Steve Hickner thing because Balto did this too, where you have an intro that's, you know, I'm telling you the story. Let's open the book. And then you dive into the story and then they close off the story by, you know, taking you out of that story into some sort of real world. Um, 
but it's not effective here because you're just really confused. Yeah. Yeah. You totally forget about it. And it's yeah. like, what? And well, here's my thing is like the whole movie. I didn't know what the theme was. Like, what is the lesson supposed to be learned here? And the only oh, thing I got was don't so join the circus. <laughs> yeah. That's the only reoccurring there's, there's so theme. Many. <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, what's unforgettable, though, is John Goodman as Rex. Yeah, it's like I'm wondering these casting departments, what they're thinking. They're sort of. Like, okay, we have a big brutish character in this animated film, and who should we get to voice him? <gasps> John Goodman, of course. And then, of course, John Goodman, because he's John Goodman, says yes. Um, whether it's Baloo or, you know, Rex or any other, you know, monster Sully from Monsters University and Monsters Incorporated, he he's going to say yes. So maybe that's why they suggest him, because they know he's not going to be too hoity-toity for them. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess he works, but we've heard him in so many different things before. This is yet to be verified, but he's apparently the actor that's been in the most, the, the Hollywood celebrity who's been in the most animated films. Really? Which I don't believe for a second, but it was on IMDb, so I have reason to believe mm. it. <laughs> yeah, so we'll have to validate that, I guess. I think uh, John Goodman has a great voice. It's, it's distinct. Uh, I actually really loved him in Transformers uh, 4. But uh, he sounds so different and weird in this film. I guess it, it, it was back then, so he was younger sounding. No, he's trying to do something different because, it's, I mean, Roseanne was really big at this time, the, the TV show sitcom. Oh, and, yeah. And so that's one of the other reasons why he was like, yeah, put John in there. He's a big time name right now. But yeah, so it's it's a totally different. He, he's trying to change his voice. He's trying to make it a little bit different so that it comes off as I did something different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Look at my range. <laughs> it reminds me of when um, it reminds me of this q and I, I was at with Don Bluth and uh, Gary Goldman. And he talked about Tom Selleck on All Dogs Go to, Go to Heaven. And Tom Selleck wanted to do this like creative like dog voice that he made up. Mm-hmm. But what they really but they were like, no, no, no. What what the heck is that? Stop that. Just do your voice. We want to hear Tom Selleck. We don't want to hear Tom Selleck's dog impression, you know. So it's kind of a weird thing with with voice actors. Sometimes it's just them, you know, it's just the actor or or sometimes they they make something up that's their own character. Mm-hmm. I don't see a, an advantage or disadvantage like a, a definitive one that makes uh, one technique better than the other. I do like the line I started off stupid and violent. <laughs> see kids, that's what happens when you don't eat your breakfast cereal. <laughs> It's true. That's the other. That's the only other one that I could think of. Like, is this just a long commercial for Wheaties? This movie was paid for by Kellogg or General Mills, <laughs> and they base they basically, you know, gave all the funding for the movie. They're like, just put in some cool cereal. It doesn't have to be our cereal, but it makes you smart. So this is a way to increase cereal sales in the '90s, which was big in the '90s. And uh, it didn't do too well because not very many people saw this film. It only grossed $9 yeah, million yeah. Dollars in the U.S., 9.3, which is that's, not, not so good. That's worse than Rockadoodle. <laughs> Oy. Yeah. Think of the context, like the historical context. This is in the 90s, and so it's like notorious for having the orphan kids or the runaway kids, indifferent parents who, by the end of the film, they come back. And then uh, they were dealing, dealing with cultural things, like probably like child nutrition, you know, dealing with the fact that kids just wanted to eat, um, you know, Lunchables and watch TV all day. Also, you know, the the eminent dis, you know, disintegration of traditional family in the U.S. Uh, was also obviously an issue. So that's why you have these like family values types, types of tie-ins and messages in the movie. Speaking of voice actors, can we talk about Jay Leno? Oh, brother, that was he. Gosh, 
gosh. If we need to make a list of most annoying side characters in animation. (laughs) Vorb is a power player. Let's just say that. Why was he there? Because you had to have you had to have like a silly character to connect with the kids. Because Mark Twain, I mean Walter Cronkite, I mean um, New Eyes is is too godlike, too you know, too (laughs) benevolent. Uh, Yeah. To really connect with kids, you know, he needs a goofy sidekick apparently. But the dinosaurs get goofy, so I don't know why we need this goofy guy when the dinosaurs get goofy when they get human. Humanized. I think there's just a lot of throwaway characters in this film. Uh. (laughs) Yeah, little green, little green alien frog dude. Like, what is he? Is he a Martian? What's his story? That's one thing I didn't even pay attention to. It's like, yeah, where did this guy come from? You know, this could be a sequel or a prequel. A prequel, definitely. Like, what planet are you from? How did New Eyes come across you? How did you become friends? How did you start working for him? Et cetera, et cetera. And then, and then we've got this like, and then he's like, "Hey, I'm I'm here to make you smart. Here, take some brain gain, <laughs> you know." And then, uh, and then the you know benevolent um, uh, new eyes comes up. And he's like, "Yes, I have this magic machine that looks into the wishes of children, and I want to bring you into New York City and show you to children because apparently all kids wish for is not food on their plates, not a family who will love them, but dinosaurs. Come on, spoil little brats just want to see dinosaurs when they're starving children and and and." Africa. I was I almost said Antarctica, but I don't I don't think kids have a starvation problem in Antarctica. So yeah, this is it's such a weird random premise. This whole like first like third of the film. Here's brain gain. It's cereal that makes you smart. Oh yeah, by the way, I'm from the future. Oh by the way, I can time travel because I have this. It's like they they worked so hard to figure out how to get talking dinosaurs in New York that they ended up with this elaborate half first half of the movie and we love it because the nostalgia factor because this is like goofy 90s and stuff <laughs> so true. but listen to what we're watching folks just pay attention and i mean no disrespect to steve hickner and and the folks at amblimation you know they obviously worked hard on this film but come on <laughs> there's just a lot of things that you have to accept and not think about it's like yeah. I'm watching Pirates of the Caribbean 3 here. Yeah. Oh, no. No, it's like I, I was thought about this. It was like, it's like I'm watching Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Oh, I mean, sadly, is... I must admit, I, I have seen that film. <laughs> I, I, I have not. That one because my sister Marissa has every movie, and that was one of her favorites, actually. And so I sat down and watched the beginning, which is, has the premise. And basically, the premise of that one, though, is that it is a kid's imagination and it's just his random story that he makes up of it in his mind. And so because of that. Or is it? I was listening with like a director thing and he was just like, that's why we made it. I was like, what? Really? So, yeah, like he, he just sat down with his kid and his kid made up this story. And so he made it a movie. And like that makes a whole lot more sense than this. Like this. I, there's just no premise to like go off of. I I'm really confused at the yeah. whole thing. Well, there there is a premise. It just makes it's just it, it's too it, weird. Like it was why... an excuse to get dinosaurs on the Thanksgiving Day parade. Right. It, it was like it it was all this work just to explain, just to ironically explain how dinosaurs could end up in New York. <laughs> When, when we've got a man with screws for eyeballs who can, you know, who can hypnotize children. We are like so killing this movie. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, you know, eat your cereal, kids. It'll turn you into a cartoon and you'll be really smart anyway. Yeah. So brain grain is the cereal. Brain drain is the, the drugs, you know, the pills. Yeah. The brain drain. Brain drain. Yeah. 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 
anyway oh yeah hey we meet the other dinosaurs there's a um, you know rex he meets uh what is it doofus no dweeb yeah dweeb is the ducky mm-hmm. of the film <laughs> and then i love uh Elsa. i am groot i mean woog <laughs> <laughs> totally uh, woog he's the he's the groot of the film and then yeah original elsa yeah the original animated elsa everyone take note Okay, I'm sure when Frozen was Take thinking note. of names, they were like, remember We're Back? It was such a classy character. We should model our character after Wait, her. Wait, is, isn't that after the after the Hans Christensen, Anderson? No, Didn't, no, no. Aren't those the characters, or is Elsa just totally made up? The characters in Frozen, like Anna, Elsa, Kristoff, those are none of the characters in the original. The names. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, well. Okay, okay. So, yeah, Elsa, classy lady. I mean, pterodactyl. Yeah, bat. <laughs> I love the kid. Hey, yo, uh, bat here. Yes, yeah, so we've got uh, Elsa, Woog, Dweeb, and Rex. A motley crew. A fellowship of the tree star, if you will. And they've got the wish radio. <laughs> you know, Mark Twain slash Albert Einstein sends them to Earth, just drops them out of a plane. I, I didn't I didn't get that part. Was he trying to teach them a lesson? And that's why you don't jump out of a plane. <laughs> well, does, that's one part where I was confused, and I don't know if I wasn't paying attention enough, but he just drops them off. Did he explain? I think he barely explained like super quick and i think that's why even i missed it like okay you're looking to go to the dinosaur museum but here you go and i'm like why didn't you just drop them off at the dinosaur museum why they have you... to swim for maybe their lives because, yeah exactly because he was uh, he was just out of u.s airspace and uh, the air force would have come after him <laughs> well there you go so they meet up you with know, this like Peter kid Pan too. and uh, gotta love the kid yeah, so they magically land on top of the kid who's like, all I want is a, is a friend who will love me. Because we've got like a six-year-old kid, I'm, I'm assuming, six to eight-year-old, and, and he talks like, he, his voice is so weird. I imagine they were like eight to ten. Eight yeah, to I ten. would say more like ten. Or yeah, well, they're old like enough ten. to kiss, that's for sure. Uh, let's yeah. I will get to that. It almost seems like they got Rosie O'Donnell to play his voice, because he kind of has <laughs> the same accent slash mannerisms, and I'm like, wow, you Totally, they could have Speaking got Rosie, but they saved some money by not going for Rosie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and of course uh, we've got the punk kid with the baseball cap, and it's the '90s, so of course it's New York City, and of course he's an orphan. Wait, <laughs> never mind, he's not an orphan. He just ran away because he's a little jerk and he doesn't like his mom. <laughs> no, because his mom, his mom kisses him, and he's like, "What? I'm too old for <laughs> if, this." If I was that girl, you know, the girl that he meets, what's her name? Cecil- not Lisa Simpson. Cecilia. Ugh, that was creepy. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cecilia, uh, if I was Cecilia, you'd be like, what, you ran away because you're embarrassed by your mom kissing you? Let me tell you about my parents, you little (laughs) jerk. My parents don't love me. (laughs) So anyway, I I love the the super dramatic saving of Rex's life, you know, by the kid who can operate a crane. Yeah. You know, I got to love these cranes in movies. They always have the keys in and they're always ready to go. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, good point so yeah he like he like knows how to operate this thing and uh saves rex and it's like this you know you you just saved my life and then he's like Cusco, you know yeah that was just a one-time thing don't read too too much into it <laughs> i snatched you out of thin air uh-huh 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 apparently that's got to establish you know oh i love this kid he wants a friend <laughs> you know and then they got to get them into the prey but not before he meets lisa well sorry not lisa 
Cecilia. Cecilia. Voiced by Lisa. A pleasure to meet you, Rex. Oh, I um, I love uh, a pleasure, Dweeb. Very nice to meet you. Uh, th- I'm going to say that the next time I want to be like passive aggressive to someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Does she live in a cool like penthouse suite or what? Again, nice. it's epitomized by the 90s. <laughs> love the yeah. zebra print throw pillows. I want that bedspread. I really do. You hear that, folks? Chelsea wants that bedspread. (laughs) She wants it. She gets it. Were you guys uh, kind of put off by Yardley Smith's voice? Yes, very much so. When I was a kid, I didn't realize that it was Lisa Simpson. But as watching it this time, I'm like, oh, honey, you can't do feature films because you're too recognizable as your one character. Yeah, it was just kind of. It should have made Bart Simpson be the be the kid, the boy. <laughs> Nancy. Oh, that, <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> I would so be okay with this movie at that point if you had Bart and Lisa in this. No okay. studio execs would pass that main <laughs> co- combo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they should Foxwood. And yeah, can we Foxwood. Ta- can we make a quick comment on on the. The late the Natural History Museum lady. Ugh, she's so frustrating. They have frustrating. gotten a more inept person. <laughs> if only she had been there five minutes earlier. Uh, this whole yeah. thing could have been could have been avoided. She's blind to the bat. She's always late. You know, she always misses it just a tad second too late, and she's just uh, oblivious. She's not even looking for these guys. I, I mean, she was at one point, but she missed them. But oh, I just bothered me the fact that she was there and she kept appearing and she kept being late and missing them i was like you are annoying and incompetent <laughs> you're a poor excuse for a soldier and a slip shot yeah um yeah i, th- I think at one point she like slaps a poster on um Gro- i mean a uh, woog's butt during the <laughs> yeah. parade she doesn't even notice i'm like i mean there's co- there's comic relief and then there's just pure frustration you're killing me here yeah, so the parade and then the ensuing panic after the musical interlude, which, again, I, I feel like they just threw that in to threw it in. I like the Jurassic Park reference. Of course you do. Yeah. Well, there's lots of references to Steven butt. Spielberg in this. There's the, the Jurassic Park reference, and then he's in the crowd. Uh, yeah, apparently point. Steven Spielberg's likeness is a cartoon version of him is in the crowd. I didn't see it, though. Hey, if I were a director of an animated film, I would put myself in the movie, too. And also yeah. promote my other movies that come out the same year. Well, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so we're halfway through the film by now, <laughs> and the story hasn't really gone anywhere. Like, we've had a lot of shenanigans. Well, yeah, we missed over the great song, Roll uh, Back the Rock to the Dawn of Time. Which is that song? It's a good song. It's not, like amazing but it's not bad i like uh when what's his what's his face takes cecilia you know on his magic pterodactyl ride a whole new world <laughs> uh the love story in this was uh, just uh, uh, crazy guys, soaring tumbling and here comes the air force the love story <laughs> in this movie disgusted me like i thought was bad. it was i just don't like the idea of kids falling in love when they're Why? i don't they know like each other but it was like in a serious sort of way and i imagine them being 10 and it just really grossed me out especially later it was on how when they, they it was how they it was how they animated that like sultry little yes, kiss yes. that she yeah that she little... like gives the like the sexy eyes and you're like no and i'm like she's 10 i do not identify with this <laughs> nobody should identify with it <laughs> 
Come on, when you were when you were like a preteen, you never gave googly eyes to the to the boys. No, no. I did. I didn't. I didn't either. <laughs> just for the record. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I, it made me uncomfortable too. And it made made no sense. Why can't they just be friends? You know, why can't why can't the payoff be? Oh, they're back with their parents. Like, there's no scene in the film where the parents are like, Cecilia, we've been looking all over for you. When we heard about the dinosaurs, we 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 suddenly realized that we love you. We want you back in our life. The dad is probably the Mad Hatter and slash King Candy. (laughs) That's my fungin. But anyway, um, it's a fun dungeon. But instead, they 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 put they put um, effort into giving the the kiss and the kitty romance screen time. Yeah, and, and, and then the credits true. montage, they got their their folks back together. You know, mm-hmm. it was, anyway, it was so, just weird. So let's move on to the evil circus. This is where <laughs> the film makes a one hundred eighty degrees turn, and we're introduced to Screw Eyes, who who is creepy for one because he's voiced by King Triton. I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> And then um, this guy has dazzle powers, like the Duke <laughs> in Rockadoodle. Um, is this a Don Bluth film that we didn't know about? Here's a, hey, was he a, a correspondent? Lot of think that it, a lot of people think it's a Don Bluth film. That's no, true. yeah, because it's from Amblimation. Like throughout the whole thing, I felt like I got this very Don Bluthy vibe, like circa Pebble and the Penguin. Then maybe I, what you think is a Don Bluth vibe is actually an Amblimation vibe. Whoa, get your vibe straight, honey. That you've no, been because- mistaken. Pebble and the Penguin was from MGM. Don Bluth started with Amblimation. Not started with him, but he, when Amblimation started, he was part of it. And so, the, like, I mean, they just had the American Tale and those movies, and, and Don Bluth left. And so I feel like a lot of those animators or just the people had worked with him, and they kind of like kept that style, I felt like. That's true. It's just kind of a generic style as it is. Yeah. The Donald with Dazzle was definitely there, though. Yeah, there's Dazzle. It starts getting really creepy when he makes them prick their finger with the quill and put their blood on the contract. Yeah. Well, this contract is legal, that, binding, and completely unbreakable. And I say that that contract is not legal because he was getting ready to sign it, and he grabbed his hand and forced him to sign it. So he really didn't do it out of his own free will. So yeah, he yeah. could have gotten out of that contract because he didn't do it of his own free will and choice. Yeah. True. Yeah. Well, and the fact that they're all minor. <laughs> but, well, you know. That too, and, that the fact that they're, and the fact that there are dinosaurs running around. But, yeah, um, dinosaurs running around? This yeah, contract so, is not legal. <laughs> Screw Eyes is such a diabolical character. He starts off as just this grumpy old man, but then he's like, yes, sign the contract with blood. <laughs> and then they're like, he's like, take pills, kids. <laughs> It, you know, it was like, another gosh, problem really from sinister. the 90s. <laughs> yes, pills. Dare. You know, um, he's definitely he's a foil to new eyes. I mean, even their name, their screw eyes and new eyes. You look at the two and they are uh, one provides a much more positive connotation. Yin, yin and yang. And then their brothers, which we learn later. So that as we learn a bit more about screw eyes and we get deeper and deeper into his character, we kind of learn how dark and sinister he is. Um, but he, yeah, no he, he's constantly a foil to his brother, who is the good in the world and, and doing good things. And he's always trying to do you know things that are bad and sinister and scary and bring out the fear in people and just always have darkness in his life, which yeah, definitely it, there's almost a spiritual message, like the force, the, 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 a universal force of good versus a force of evil, you know, a God and a devil kind of relationship, yeah. because look at the, look at the choices that, that, um, new eyes gives everyone, you know, 
the freedom to choose and, and to do good in this world. And then screw eyes, you know, like Morgan said, he he's definitely a, a fear monger and he seeks to take away the freedom of choice uh, and make people slaves. And that's that's like a that's a deep message right there. Mm-hmm. I, I got a lot out of that. I got I got a pretty big payoff out of that. And it just made screw eyes even more disturbing. Well, yeah. Another message is kind of how you can get entrapped in in darkness when just by kind of experimenting or exploring into yeah. it. Um, and then you can't get out, whether, you know, because yeah. you get depressed and you're, you're just, that's what you kind of seek and crave, um, or you're addicted to it, um, or, or just you really are ensnared by it and can't get out because... What's even more disturbing? What? What's even more disturbing was the studio's technique of driving home this message because the imagery is is so extreme and and so dark and scary that it's like they're using Screwize's own techniques to drive the lesson home to audience audiences yeah. that you don't do drugs, you don't run away from home, and for gosh sakes, you do not join the circus. <laughs> <laughs> Eat your breakfast cereal, kids. I feel like it's nowadays, like, like I feel like this movie. There's always the thing, you know the. The adage like oh i'm gonna run away to the circus but i feel like nowadays it would be really hard to run away to the circus i, f- I feel like circuses probably have some pretty high standards maybe yeah they're more like Not unless you're in romania or something uh, yeah maybe Cir- but american like circuses circus are very nowadays. much corporations and i'm sure they hire the best of the best because they want to be the best but i don't know do circuses still take on runaways and stragglers <laughs> <laughs> maybe the maybe the real ghetto ones, but like after Circus LA, like the the whole concept of a circus has just been so, so much higher class. It's true. Thanks, Cirque du Soleil guy. <laughs> yeah, so creepy. And then there is a, a tiny ray of light, and that is Stubbs, the pathetic clown who's trying to be funny. Who is, but he's just not finding the right audience. Yeah, he's not in a good environment. I feel so bad for him. <laughs> And, and I'm yeah, wondering, like, yeah. how and why he got there and why he stays. Is it because there's Maybe nothing better has been presented? He ran away from home. <laughs> he's I'm, a, I'm tired of living in the basement. I'm leaving. <laughs> he's a clown, like, and he's just looking for a job. Like, there's, I'm sure there aren't that many circuses around, though. Like, just as you're saying, like, there's the really big, good ones, and he's just, he's never felt like he's received any type of a, um, affirmation words of affirmation that he's a good he's a great clown and he's funny even the little bit of laughter he's like indebted to them for life oh yeah he's got this powerful line and it's so martin short like after watching um mr megorium uh this reminded me of that but he's like he's like fine i'll help you but not because of what you said because of her and you because you laughed you know Mm -hmm. that's cute that's sweet man I felt like Martin Short did a really good job at Stubbs. I, I really couldn't tell that it was him. Hmm. And as a voice actor, normally Martin Short has just kind of, a, you can tell that it's him, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, you want the uh, focus to be on the Yeah. Focus to be on the job. character, not the voice, you know? Most of the time. Unless it's Robin Williams. Lord bless and keep it. Oh, sad face. Yeah. You know, something about the, the circus again, it just totally reminded me of like going into like the Batman circus. <laughs> Which one was that one? Was that uh the one with uh, the Riddler? That yeah, Batman Forever with Val Kilmer. Oh brother! Out of all of them, I thought that was like the most. I don't even know. Weird. <laughs> it was weird. Baby. 
I but like you to a kiss from a rose. Oh, sorry, I was getting my seal on. <laughs> but they like walk in, and you got these people with their like crazy hair and mohawks, and like it totally reminded me. No, they're they're they're, they're they're degenerate gothic people. No offense if you're a gothic listener, um, <laughs> but they're uh, you know they're they're the bad guys. That's the type of people that hang out at at Screw Eyes' circus. Yeah, okay. I love how the I love how uh, they they could have just pulled a switchblade and killed that kid. But New Yorker kid like fights him away. He's like, "Yeah, you want a piece of me?" She's like, <laughs> "Oh, you're so brave." He's like, "Yeah, whatever, whatever, toots." I don't know. And in the end, he's the one to just turn everything around with a great big hug. What a hero! What a hero! And then, but but not before you have this crazy crazy act that Screw Eyes does. He's like, "Release the shackle from the beast," you know. I love how everything he does just puts everyone in a huge panic. And in one shot, they're all trying to like climb up the posts and like get out of the bleachers to escape. But by the time we have our like tender moment between the kids and the dinosaurs and and, and everything's great again, everyone's magically back in their seat yeah, watching the whole thing. Yeah, they climbed back. <laughs> and they're clapping and laughing along. And it's like uh, this portion of the film was filmed in front of a live studio audience. You know, <laughs> I guess those folks really wanted their money's worth and they really wanted some entertainment because they stayed for the whole dang show. Yeah, the the ending with the hugs. I'm like, this is very another 90s dinosaur Barney-ish. It's like, all hugs, it saved everything. And I (laughs) I don't know, I understand there is power in physical touch and they can bring back memories and... But it just was done in kind of a quirky way, like, I guess a kitty way. Hugs! Yay, that's the answer! And I forgot to mention, we haven't really talked about the animation. What do y'all think about the animation quality? It wasn't bad, I had nothing against it. I feel like this could have been re-released in 3D. Because the animation is very much like in your face. Did you notice that? Yeah. And then I saw, I know I saw some CG buildings in some of those sequences. So that was cool, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes, I did see that. Here's a, here's a conspiracy theory for you. What if this is actually the long lost sequel to Land Before Time? Hmm. We've got it the Sarah. Be. We've got the Ducky. We've got the Petrie. <laughs> and Shark Tooth. You They've know. got Shark Tooth back. <laughs> hey, this is what happens. This is what happened to the parents. <laughs> On the way to the Great Valley, Shark Tooth oh. and the parents got abducted by, uh, <laughs> by New Eyes. Hey, it's 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 Steven Spielberg. It's it, I like wasn't it. Inflammation. I can go with it. Dom Bluth. No, that was Sullivan Bluth Studios with the help yeah. of Steven Spielberg. Yeah, but it's it's got his name connected to it, so we can go with it. Now that's a that's a theory that we should be paying attention to. We should. I How like it. All <laughs> the Steven Spielberg's movies are in the same universe. <laughs> yeah. uh. That's a good one. I do. I like it, Mason. That's a good theory. Work on it. Right. Let's get back to us. Okay, so let's talk about the villain's demise. Ooh, I th- I feel like it matches the sin- the sinister demise matches the sinisterness of the character, and I think it was fitting. Although, just how how they did it was just so creepy. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that he doesn't writhe or like scream in pain at all? Yeah. He just he just stands there with his arms out and all the crows like land on him and then they don't even do anything. They just leave and there's nothing left of him. Which makes me wonder if he actually that- died. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe that was just a way of escaping because have, the yeah. authorities were obviously coming for him. Yeah, and point. left his eye to because that was his key characteristic. His calling card. Mm-hmm. Or the wet bandits. Anyway. But I think we're supposed to assume um, that he's dead. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, that is his death. <laughs> Wikipedia is always right. 
but so weird from from the lighting to just the surrealness of it. I feel like I'm watching Eraserhead here. The crows and everything, like there's no heads up that the crows are coming for him. I mean, they're just there throughout the film. Like mm-hmm. you notice them, but there's not like a thing where he's abusive to the crows, you know, like uh, like Zigzag and Fido. There's nothing like that. They just land on him because he gets afraid maybe maybe that was like a scarecrow thing from you know like uh batman begins he was under the influence of some narcotic and he just imagined that you know because his greatest fear is probably being alone and not having anyone to make miserable like unto himself yeah it's true I don't know. I'd be getting deep here. I'd be getting deep. So after he goes away, everything's resolved, and suddenly Cecilia's family's back, and they love her, and they're now taking photos with her. (laughs) Oh, and they they rearrange the house to be a little more (laughs) family-centric. Uh, I mean, did you buy that? I mean, it didn't. There was no explanation. All it all it took was a hug from a Tyrannosaurus Rex, which doesn't make sense. That's not that's an (laughs) unrelated event they just had a yeah. change of heart and we're supposed to accept that it happened at the perfect timing same thing with his pa- maybe, his mom i mean they're only gone Cecilia, by the yeah yeah they come back from like where they're shopping at the mall and they were like you know what <laughs> i don't know we changed our mind maybe cecilia was just kind of complacent about her parents at first and then by the end of the movie she realizes that their love is worth fighting for and maybe she had a sit down with them and was like look i don't know what you're doing with your social life I don't know what you're doing with your business life, <laughs> but uh, I met a New York orphan and he taught me how to be tough. So I'm going to be tough on you, parents. And all of a sudden, I'm Ray Romano. Or maybe she, her parents were always trying to be in the picture, but she was always pushing them away because she wanted attention. She's a little, so she would go little. to the family night by herself so everyone would feel bad for her because she didn't have a family. Ooh. And uh, so, yeah. She's the villain. She, yeah. Maybe her dad is an accountant and it's he's in the middle of taxes. I don't know. I don't know. There's all kinds of so many questions left unanswered. Oh, did you see that? Um, oh, the I keep forgetting the kid's name. What is the kid's name? The boy? We don't even know. <laughs> New York kid. Uh, Let's see. Embarrassed. Louie. So uh, did you notice that Louie has like a family with like multiple siblings and stuff? <laughs> no. In some of the photos, yeah. It looks like there's like an older brother that kind of looks like him. Hmm, maybe maybe I'm just tripping. Maybe I'm taking brain drain. <laughs> yeah. Stay away from you, it. It's bad. You know what was what was also touching? Was that New Eyes gave his brother the chance to repent of his ways mm-hmm. and go with him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would you really want you know? him with you? <laughs> no, he's insane. Yeah. He got his, he got his I, eye plucked. He got his eye plucked out, and he's gone crazy because of it. He's got issues. So, okay, if you were to remake this movie, what would you change? What would you keep, and what would you throw out? I That's I it. feel the time traveling brain drain brain grain subplot wasn't needed. It was too complicated um, to have this kind of like mystical overseer of the world who's just very altruistic and wants to help the world's children and you are a key to that because you're dinosaurs and every kid in the world loves dinosaurs so i have to go get real dinosaurs to bring them happiness no 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 no. just cut all that because yeah, it's, it's yeah. really yeah. sticky and it takes a long time to explain i like the concept of the wish radio 
but maybe they could have done it in a different fashion. Maybe had a wish yeah. radio in the in the dinosaur museum or something, or or in a museum. He could be an inventor who works in the museum and stumbles across that. I don't know. A good old time warp is is always okay to me <laughs> to bring the dinosaurs. Is at least that's Would you, clean or and easy. Perhaps a Perhaps a time vortex. Oh, a time vortex. This is how every one of the Rotoscopers episodes are connected. Yes. <laughs> the Rotoscopers theorem. Yeah, but the vortex is too easy. A vortex connects them all. <laughs> but who, who made the vortex? New eyes, well, of course. Yes. Oh, okay. Anyway, I, um, I would have remade this film in 3D. I would have just made it a 3D gag film. Like Meet the Robinsons was sort of, you know, if it didn't have like a brilliant story. I, I do like the Wish Radio. I think we should go with that. I think we should run with that idea. What if they, what if they uh, installed a Wish Radio into the Wayback for, um, for Mister Peabody and Sherman? <laughs> That'd be hilarious. It's that my Wish Radio, cool. Sherman. It t- it t- shows me all the wishes of all the children. <laughs> That's what they should have done. Forget the dinosaurs. Just make it a Peabody and Sherman too. I would totally go for that one. I agree. You know. I- the, th- the th- thing that's interesting here is we're talking so much about this wish radio. I feel like maybe they should have just got rid of the dinosaurs and focused on something with the wish radio in a different context. Or do you need the dinosaurs? Oh, and, sh- and just have new eyes and Vorb running around trying to make kids' <laughs> dreams come true? Well, yeah. at least it'd be a little bit more realistic. <laughs> well, I'd rather I think... take brain brain. Here's one of the things. I did like that they put... I liked the concept of putting the dinosaurs into the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Because, I mean, every kid looks up at these. It's easy to come up with that. It's easy to think of that. I think I liked your idea of maybe having the Wish Radio inside the the museum and having it, like, maybe part of the exhibit or something like that. And then somehow it creates the thing. And then it comes, like, yeah, I don't know. So yeah. I could totally see that going. So many people totally. wished for dinosaurs that it actually came true. Right. And I actually, like oh, I said, yeah, I liked that's the idea. I like the idea of going through the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Um, a, yeah, it's a good it's a good moment in the film. What's mm-hmm. a movie? What's a movie where enough people wish that it would happen and it came, and it came back to life? What? Pinocchio. Oh. oh, it's like that. Tinkerbell. <laughs> Think of a uh, wonderful dinosaur. I liked that. I like our our version. Like we could, we could get something good out of that. Yeah, we could we could still have John Goodman. So in ten years, when we do the remake, because everyone's going to be clamoring. We can give them our ideas, and then we can also get credit as being screenwriters. Heck yes. And anim- and maybe at this point, Mason will be a full-fledged animator, and maybe even director, and he can direct it. No, this is, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be working at Pixar, and then you're going to be giving him, because you can pitch, you know, you're going to be the janitor at Pixar. And you're gonna I already see a problem with this. <laughs> and then you're gonna, it's going to be so good that they'll just move you straight up to director. So well, the only problem with this is it's <laughs> not an original film. It's completely ripped off. <laughs> true, true, Wait, true. Wasn't there a really bad movie in the '90s with the same premise? <laughs> Quick, take a forget me now. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, speak, speaking of which, um, Michael, uh, they should have. Um, they should have, um, as like a, not a party favor, but like a little toy to come with your movie ticket, they should have given you like a fake placebo pill that, that's labeled <laughs> brain drain that you're supposed to take before watching this movie. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right, let's rate this. 
So I'm going to go first and say that, honestly, I really wish that I had a bit of the nostalgia factor to add to my score because it's not good. Um, but I feel like had I had a little bit more, it would have pushed it up a little bit more. Um, I'm going to give it 2.5 stars. I can't go lower because it really wasn't super bad and everything was pretty decent as far as technical wise, but I really in no good form could go any higher. So 2.5 for me. So I'm also going to give it 2.5 stars. I was kind of on the edge between two and 2.5. And this movie, like Chelsea was saying, it's not when you watch it, it's not bad. And all our listeners are groaning right now. They're like, are you kidding me? Of course it's bad. You darn rotoscopers can't say anything mean. Um, but you <laughs> know, at, you know what? I'm going to give it two stars. Sorry, two stars because it's not bad, but it just is sticky and muddy, and has a lot of really complicated plot elements that weren't needed. It, it, I can see what the premise of this movie was, maybe in the pitch, like New York uh, dinosaurs in New York City, or you know, whatever dinosaurs come back from the past and they they end up in New York City and they meet children, whatever. You know, it had a good premise because that's very What visual. could go wrong? Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. And um, so it had a good premise. And I watching it, there were in- interesting parts. I really liked the dark circus, surprisingly, because how dark it was and gritty and just so different. It had some interesting moral elements um, between, you know, choosing good versus evil and getting entrapped and snared in, in dark situations. As I was watching it this time, even though I have nostalgia for this movie and, and enjoyed it, it's kind of a mess. And so for that reason, I'm giving two two stars. Yeah, I'm going to do two stars as well. Dang, how did I outvote everybody? I don't even have nostalgia. Because it had a song. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, while we're here, can I also point out that uh, it was James Horner did the score for it? And, like, while I'd say it's not his best, like, it's not Land Before Time, Zorro, Titanic, or whatever, I still like seeing him. So that made me happy, yeah. Um, But, yeah, I just, how is it? I'm really nice, man. I'm super nice. Anyway, move on. Mason, your turn. Yeah, two stars for me. I'm sorry. Although I do think it, I, I, I do think they had guts for, um, for having such dark subject matter. I think that was just a product of the '90s, and you know they didn't really have a control on the extreme stuff that they could show kids. Excellent villain, mate. Excellent villain, death. Just everything else was just like so far fi- fetched, and it, it really got unglued, you know. And that was just the first half of the movie. <laughs> But yeah, wasting all that. Sorry, I say wasting, but like spending all that effort and time on explaining a, a, the fantastical concept of dinosaurs in New York City um, just kind of killed it for me. I won't really be watching this film again, but it was interesting watching it again because I hadn't seen it in several years. Two stars. Hi guys, it's Jess again. You might remember me from my, what you guys thought was harsh, voicemail on dinosaurs. And when I saw you guys were doing a podcast on We're Back, I felt I just had to chime in and send another one. I really don't know why I like this film. 
well, I haven't for a very long time. And I hope this discussion in the podcast is going to help me figure it out more. These last few days I've been trying to figure it out and I think I have a better idea of it now. I'm pretty sure what I know what stopped me to make me watch it, but I'm not sure what kept me around. What stopped me was the character design and how appealing they were. The dinosaurs and the humans. They were just so lovable and enduring. And it was certainly what made me stop when I was flicking through channels and it was on. No matter how far in it was, no matter how little it had to go, I'd sit there and I'd watch it. And I'd just always stop. And I think what maybe made me like it so much is because it never took itself seriously. I never saw this as a film. It was always on the television. It was an I always thought it was an episode or something, even though it it was quite long for an episode. So I never thought of it as that, which helped. Also, the storyline didn't seem like a movie to me. It was just like, "Mm, okay, this can't really be a movie. (laughs) It doesn't seem plausible, but that storyline, it was certainly not what kept me around. (laughs) Anyway... Uh, thanks for all the podcasts. I love the one on Ice Age and I look forward to this one and the others to come. Thanks guys. Bye. All right, folks, mail time. Let's uh, listen to a voice message. Our first one is from Mark. Hello, fellow rotoscopers, Morgan, Chelsea, Mason. How y'all doing? This is Mark. And I hear y'all are reviewing We Are Back, a dinosaur story for your next podcast, and I'm really, really excited about that because it's a movie that I really, really enjoy, even though I know a lot of people don't. Uh, One interesting thing about the movie, at least that I find interesting, is that it has, in my opinion, the weirdest voice casting choice for an animated character, and that's of the celebrity chef Julia Child as Dr. Juliet Bleeb. And, you know, nowadays, celebrity voice casting is nothing new. It's very ubiquitous. So I just have uh, two questions for y'all. Number one, uh, in your opinion, what is the weirdest voice casting choice for an animated character that you've ever seen or heard in an animated film or TV show or anything like that? And two, which celebrity would you want to voice an animated character who has never voiced an animated character before? Uh, I personally would like to see Leonardo DiCaprio do that because that'd be kind of interesting. Uh, so I'm glad, to, hoping to hear your thoughts on it, and thanks. Bye. Okay, so what voice actor would you like to voice an animated character that has never voiced anything before? Hmm, I really liked his recommendation of Leonardo DiCaprio. He's got such an expressive, like, dramatic voice mm. that I think he I think he would do pretty well. Have, have you ever noticed that sometimes big Hollywood actors like totally suck when they have to do animation oh yeah like brad pitt on I megamind just, i thought he was uh, i was just thinking brad pitt in um yeah. sinbad <laughs> oh sinbad oh poor brad pitt he's really good on on camera <laughs> all right so let's go to our email segment and this first one is from miguel i'm sending you this in hopes of spreading word around to as many people as possible garrett is known for his restoration of richard williams unfinished animated masterpiece the thief and the cobbler the recobbled cut the first recobbled cut was released in 2006 the fourth was released in hd in september 2013 after nearly two years of work like i said i'm just hoping to get the word out so he can get more commission work from patrons thanks for reading this miguel awesome thank you miguel because i know that uh, garrett's work on restoring the thief and the cobbler and kind of bringing it together is is really important he's partially the way there and it'd be really cool to see him get there so i will include that link in the show notes so everyone can support him 
and be able to help that iteration of that movie to continue to grow. Yeah, that's really cool. Oh, wow. 19 hours, 19 hours ago, Garrett Gilcrease said he was paralyzed by fear. I've been out of money before, but not like this. This really feels like the end. Oh, well, yeah, we better have that link so that people can support <laughs> support his work. Hi, Rotoscopers. I re-listened to your episode on Mary Poppins the other day because I've been on a bit of a Poppins kick. Me and my partner were lucky enough to get last-minute tickets to an event called An Evening with Julie Andrews, where she talked about her career, Walt Disney, and, of course, Mary Poppins. Apparently, the author of Mary Poppins, P.L. Travers, called to tell her, You are far too pretty to play her, of course, but you have the nose for it. The audience even got to sing a little bit of Edelweiss with her. Even though she said her voice wasn't what it used to be, it was an amazing experience. So as I re-listened to your episode, I thought it was such a shame that Chelsea wasn't able to make that episode, because I would love to hear her opinion on Julie Andrews' voice and the incredible Sherman Brothers songs from the film. Any chance we can hear a quick thoughts on the podcast? From your faithful and avid listener, MJ. P.S. Congratulations to Morgan on her graduation. You know, I think Julie Andrews is like one of the classiest, most pleasant women in Hollywood. She is the queen of Hollywood. You don't. Yeah, I really enjoy all the films that she's in. Than her, I okay. I'm so glad that you asked me about this because I grew up loving this movie. I grew up loving the music. You know, every little part of it is just so iconic. You don't you don't get any more iconic than than Mary Poppins. And as far as the music with the Sherman Brothers, like you know, the Sherman Brothers are just so great because one, they were staff writers. They don't have that nowadays, just FYI. But the Sherman Brothers are amazing. Like they, every song, if you think about any Disney song that went through between, you know, within a 10 year space of time, basically, maybe even longer, probably longer, um, you're, it's probably written by the Sherman Brothers, you know, like even from theme park rides, like just everything was something that they wrote. And it's just amazing. We actually did another podcast. It was right before uh, the D23 Expo last year, and it has Alan Menken and Richard Sherman on a phone call. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to ask any questions on that one, but it is a really cool episode if you want to go back and listen to it. And it kind of gives, you know, kind of like the old music of Disney plus the modern type music of Disney. And this is meaning a modern in like the Alan Menken years, you know, but I mean, just it's really, really cool episode. Um, I love it. I there's there's too much for me to say. So some point in time we'll have to do an actual commentary of this movie and I'll have to give my my uh blow by blow of how much I love this movie. But thank you for asking MJ. I appreciate it. Here's an email from our recurring fan mail giver, Tony Moore, aka Simba's Guard. I listened to your All Dogs Go to Heaven episode and thought since you discussed animated dogs, that animated big cats might be a good topic. Some of the ones I can think of are characters from The Lion King, characters from Kimba the White Lion, Cringer slash Battle Cat from He-Man, Panther from He-Man, Diego from Ice Age, Shira from Ice Age, Shere Khan from The Jungle Book, Raja from Aladdin, Tigress from Kung Fu Panda, Tai Lung from Kung Fu Panda, Alex from Madagascar, Gia from Madagascar, Vitali from Madagascar, Bagheera from The Jungle Book, and Sabor from Tarzan. I hope this gives you something to discuss. Sincerely, Tony, Simba's Guard, more. Tony, I think you missed one of them. That was Schnarf from, uh, from Thundercats. Is, is Schnarf a cat? I mean, the Thundercats are cats. I never saw what? the Thundercats. Schnarf, Schnarf! You don't know about Schnarf? No. You know how every you know how every like eighties <laughs> cartoon had to have the dopey character, you know? Or every nineties right. movie like this one? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, well, um, 
Yeah, Schnarf was the dweeb of of uh, Thundercats. He was this like harmless, weird Wookiee cat that just ran around and got into trouble. And it was from that weird trend of of Japanese characters um, saying their names over and over again. You know, like all of Pokemon. Schnarf could have been a Pokemon. Ooh, that's a crossover. There's a there's a real animation theory right there. Yeah, we are yet to do some of these films. I know we've done Madagascar. We talked about Alex. Um, we we need to do Kung Fu Panda. I oh know. man, we should and do a Tiger series. <laughs> yeah, Bagheera. I do love Shere Khan in the Jungle Book. Yeah, these are some really good ones, and I, I think we're definitely. I think we're definitely inspired to do some of these films. I, for one, really want to do Jungle Book, and I really want to do Kung Fu Panda. Done. <laughs> Added to the list. All right, our next one's from Phoebe. Hey, Morgan, Mason, and Chelsea. Hi, I'm Phoebe, and in the last month, I've discovered your podcast through Hypable, and I absolutely love it so much that I've listened to all of them at least twice. Your podcast helped me get through all the assignments that I do the night before they are due. You've inspired me numerous times to get out of the old VCR and watch my favorite animated films from when I was little after listening to one of your podcasts. I was just wondering if you're ever going to do a podcast on The Little Mermaid 2. I have to say, I like the second one a lot more than the first. Maybe it's because I thought Ursula was really scary. Thank you. Lots of love from Australia. Phoebe. Phoebe, first of all, thank you for phonetically pronouncing, uh, spelling your name out so that we can read it. We like that. <laughs> um, yeah, we've done quite an eclectic variety of movies this year that definitely have required dusting out the old VCR and VHS tapes, much like this one, um, if you were cool enough to own this. But uh, Little Mermaid 2, that's one that I've seen a few times. I know it has a really big fan base for some reason. And uh, it's, it's one of the sequels that people think are people think is better than, than your typical Disney sequel. Um, it has an interesting premise. It's basically, let's take what worked in the first movie and flip-flop it. Um, so yeah, it'd definitely, definitely be good to do a podcast about that in the future. Subject, you don't win friends with salad. Rotoscopers, first let me thank you and congratulate you on your great work with the podcast. I stumbled on your show about a year ago and I'm consistently impressed with the quality, content, and insight you provide each and every episode, having been a fan of animation for a very long time. It's refreshing to listen to a show that gives animated films their due credit for the depth and humor they can have, instead of dismissing them as kitty fodder, as public opinion often does. I, like many others, basically grew up on the Disney animated films and consider them a very important part of my youth. However, there is another animated classic which I feel has had almost equal importance for me and many others. Of course, I'm referring to The Simpsons. Now, I've heard a few tangential references in the past episodes to Simpsons quotes, which makes me wonder, have you considered doing an episode dedicated to all things Simpsons? Of course, it would be impossible to fit the repository of 500 plus episodes into a feature film into a single podcast, but I bet a nerdy couch discussion focused on something like The Simpsons episodes or best Simpsons, or best Simpsons background characters would go down as an instant classic. I recognize the content of The Simpsons does somewhat deviate from your shows you typically review. However, The Simpsons has done so much for animation and helped prove that the medium can provide humor and insights that adults would enjoy in a way that Fritz the Cat never could. And thankfully, The Simpsons accomplished this in a much more appropriate manner. For that reason, I think it would fit nicely into an upcoming episode and personally, I would love to hear it. Keep up the great work. Thanks again, Christopher. Okay, Christopher Simpsons. You got us. We love The Simpsons here. And I'm speaking of Chelsea and I. We grew up watching The Simpsons. We love The Simpsons. And speaking of The Simpsons, right now, yeah, I wasn't as we allowed. Speak, is the midst of the Every Simpsons Ever Simpsons Marathon, which I have been watching and loving. Um, it's I think we're in day five 
of the Simpsons Marathon. And it's uh, the, the episodes that aired over the weekend were some of the best seasons. Those... Seasons six, seven, eight. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it was great. <laughs> so I was very happy to participate. And then I had to go to work. And I can only watch it at night now. But I'm becoming re-pumped about the Simpsons, which I think this is just such a genius idea what they've done because it's getting people excited about these, you know, you want to be a part of the live tweeting and of this epic 552 episode marathon. And then suddenly when the next season comes out in, you know, later this year, I feel like there's going to be a lot more people tuning in. Probably. So just genius. The The Simpsons movie actually is part of this marathon. It airs Friday. Right. And um, yeah, we, we definitely, we've had it on plan to do a Simpsons movie and a Simpsons movie podcast, but things just get getting shuffled around. Can we do a yellow people series and just like <laughs> animated <laughs> characters that are weird colors? <laughs> Cause I need to do this one. I, I so love random. the Simpsons. <laughs> well, we've, we've had ideas of how we could really uh, exploit our love for the Simpsons in other ways. Um, so we're definitely looking for other ways and trying to come up with it um it it also just depends on timing as far as schedules and everything but oh i love the simpsons and he he has a good idea a nerdy couch discussion on favorite simpsons episode or best background characters and yeah. so i like those ideas so thanks christopher yeah thank you that's pretty good all right and our last one is from mike Thank you for accepting my suggestion for a villain henchman nerdy couch discussion. Y'all made some great points. Flotsam and Jetsam definitely stand out as ideal goons. For some reason, I definitely get a kick of how they managed to shake hands after tipping Ariel and Eric overboard during the kiss the girl scene. Come to think of it, some characters have a chance at being both the main villain and the henchman throughout the film's trilogy. In the All Dogs Go to Heaven franchise, Carface plays both the main antagonist in the original film and the goon to Red the Devil Cat in the sequel. It actually worked both ways. Prince Charming plays similar roles in the Shrek series, but does neither well. Keep up the great work, Mike. You know, I haven't seen All Dogs Go to Heaven, but that's kind of ironic that Carface was the big bad guy and then now he's a... Uh apparently some little minion i thought it was a devil dog in the first one did he kind of change roles into a cat in the second all dogs go to heaven who um carface the, the yeah. devil he's no, like no, a, the, he's the like de- a little bulldog oh the devil uh, the devil was a dragon the giant devil he was like a dragon dog thing right i just always saw him as a dragon i thought that prince charming's character in the shrek series was horribly pathetic like like he was he was something in in shrek 2 like i understood his character and that there was a more sinister force of evil in control of him. But um, I didn't like one. I didn't like Shrek three at all. And uh, two, I thought that Prince Charming, like being all vindictive and, and planning like a revenge thing plan for Shrek was, I don't know. I just thought it was a little pathetic and they could have done a little better writing for that. But that is a good point. How sometimes the bad guy from the first film turns into like a minor bad guy in the second. I'm really glad that that didn't happen to like the likes of Jafar or uh, or stuff like that. They usually just replace the villain or they bring them back and they're like evil and as sinister as ever. Thank you guys so much for your awesome emails. You guys are fantastic. We love you guys so much. Thank you. listening to this episode of the animation addicts podcast hope you enjoyed our our installment in our dinos and dragons series this was kind of a personal request of mine i really was pumping this up because i just loved this movie so much when i was little and and watching it 
thoroughly again, I realized, wow, there's some there's some holes. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find all the things we talked about in the show notes at rotoscopers.com slash 74. Our next episode is going to be another Dinos and Dragons episode. This time we're focusing on the dragons of the D&D. And we're doing Quest for Camelot, which is actually uh, two dragons. So it's going to be really fun. So if you have thoughts about that movie, be sure to send us your voicemails at rotoscopers.com slash voicemails. And that way we can play it in the show. And then to top off our Dinos and Dragons series right after that, episode 76 is going to be Sleeping Beauty, probably the most iconic dragon in all of animation, uh, besides Toothless and some of the other ones. One of the most iconic, let's just put it that way. So yeah, get ready. Make sure to send us your voicemails. All right. Also, make sure to check out our Amazon affiliate links. If you want to go to rotoscopers.com slash Amazon, you can do all of your shopping there. Basically, Amazon is the go-to place for just about everything. And every purchase that you make from like a printer to um your dinos and you know whatever fan merchandise that you want to pick up you can definitely use our affiliate link and we're able to get a little bit of a kickback for that because every little bit helps also if you want to head on over to rotoscopers.com slash 74 we also include the links for the amazon like if you want to rent the movie if you want to watch it digital copy you've got you can also purchase the hard copies and every one of the itunes soundtracks as well also, audible.com. Before the episode started, I mentioned that we are going to be doing a bit of a discussion on one of our next episodes where we're going to be talking about the book Creativity Inc. by Ed Catmull. And so definitely check that out. Go to rotoscopers.com slash audible to be able to get your free audiobook so you can join in on the discussion as well. And also t-shirts, folks. Rotoscopers t-shirts. Rotoscopers swag. It's the start of a revolution. And uh, if you go to rotoscopers.com slash store... You can order your very own Rotoscopers t-shirt. I just got mine last week. It is fantastic. Excellent quality. Super soft. Um, and, uh, you know, on the front, it's got the sweet logo. On the back, it's got all sorts of cool inside jokes that only your fellow Rotoscopers will understand. And it's awesome. So rotoscopers.com slash store. Get them before they're gone. Yes. I looked on Instagram, and there are a couple people who are posting their Roto shirts. And so hashtag Roto shirt. And if you want to see some of the other people who have purchased theirs and their wonderful um, little gifts that come with it, definitely head on over to rotoscopers.com slash store if you want to purchase yours. All right. That concludes our episode on We're Back, a dinosaur story. For show notes, visit us on rotoscopers.com slash 74. We are about to have our 75th episode after this. Also, you can check us out on Hypable and Animated Views. Also, it's important to subscribe to us on iTunes so that you can always keep up to date with the latest podcast episodes. We're also available on Stitcher Radio. If you love the show, please leave a positive review on iTunes or whatever review, whatever you think. Uh, we appreciate the feedback and the praise for all the hard work that we do. You can find Morgan on Twitter at Morgan Straddling, and you can find Chelsea on Twitter at Chelsea Robson. For myself, my Twitter handle is at Mason SMTX. And also you can check out my portfolio, MasonSmithPortfolio.com, and then this animatedlife.blogspot.com is my horribly neglected animation blog. <laughs> but it's still cool. It is still cool. You know, there's still that Monsters University article that you can... <laughs> blew up the internet back then. it blew up the internet it's it still kind of is it's like my most read article That's awesome hey all you need is a few 
80-20 rule. 80-20. And I'm sure this will be one of our most downloaded episodes. This will be our 80-20 rule for podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Move over, Frozen. All right, guys. Until next time. We we are are the the Rotoscopers. Although, although brain drain is a dead giveaway, you know, that, that's obviously drugs. You know, don't <laughs> Why is do it drugs, called brain kids. drain if it does the opposite? It doesn't drain your brain of... No, the... they're talking about brain grain is this oh, breakfast duh. cereal. Brain drain is what, um, what Cut that, Screwball gives you. What's his name? Stupid. Screw eyes. No. Hey, I didn't know what Sword in the Stone was. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, you seriously didn't... I thought you were just like making a joke. I was having... I was having a brain fart. You know, people, here's something I have to say. This will go in the bloopers, but here's something I have to say. People always, people always correct us on things that we're saying when we're podcasting. Down to the comma. And it's, all I want to say is like, it's really hard when you're podcasting and your mind is going a mile a minute and you're trying to, you know, get a discussion going and it happens. Little things and little facts that you normally would get right slip your mind. And it's just the podcasting curse that I can't explain. It's the podcaster's so dream. Off, you jerks! <laughs> no, and get off and get off Pinterest. It's giving you a false, false desire for perfection. <laughs> what? <laughs> is this? That, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is his anger issues coming out now. <gasps> yeah, rotoscopers dot com slash seventy four. Seventy four. <laughs> okay rotoscopers.com slash 70 wait is is it uh is it chess slash 74 or is it the hashtag 74 just slash 74 oh boy so check us out on our individual social media locations morgan straddling at morgan straddling on twitter you find chelsea it's at straddling chelsea. that's what i said we said straddling kind of oh, i said oh, okay sorry i'll, I'll redo <laughs> it i'll redo it <laughs> wir sind die rotoscopen <laughs>